So, Ian, I actually had an idea for this podcast. Did you? Yes, because I'm... What is it? Well, I'm getting on an airplane in a couple of days. Okay. And I'm not planning to take my computer with me. Okay. But I would like to get this episode out before we go. And so, therefore, I think it should be an entirely unedited and acoustic version of All <laughs> Things Right and Musical. Okay. All right. Okay. So, I'm David. I'm an organist. And I'm Ian, and I'm a priest. And this is all things right and musical and now i'm going to sing the theme song do it that's, I, you know that's not a bad acapella version of it well thank you i, I i've been practicing that all day <laughs> nailed it <laughs> so the reason we especially wanted to come to this uh, episode and and not delay is because we're getting pretty close to the appointed time for general convention the uh, the reappointed time. Mm. Yeah, because it was supposed to be a year ago, wasn't it? It was. Yeah. It was. And general convention for those who don't know. Although, if you're listening to a liturgy and music podcast, I'm guessing you do. <laughs> is the triennial governing body of the Episcopal Church? Did I say that right? I you uh, you did. Okay. Or did it meets it meets triennially? Is there is there a different way to say that? Uh, uh, there are probably a few ways to say it. Okay. So every three years, or in this case, on the fourth year, because the third year got scratched due to COVID. Right. Yes. So yeah. in, in all intents and purposes, this is the 2021 gathering of General Convention. Right. Which also has a number. Is this the 80th General Convention? Yeah, I think that's right. I think it's the 80th. Yeah. So they often reference that as well. Mm-hmm. Which is confusing if you aren't keeping track well it's a little like the super bowl right right but i don't think general convention is typically notated in roman numerals so it's a little bit no that's that's true and yeah and and just keep in mind this is unedited so we have to be we have to be witty all like 100 percent of the time um well and and i so we're not really going to talk about this but i think it is worth noting because i it's something that i've kind of tracked with great interest in the past. And that is the liturgy that happens at general convention, which I think sure. is, you know, part and parcel of the whole thing. When, when Christians gather, they worship. Mm-hmm. And in this case, they also happen to pass legislation. Um, my, my hunch, I don't know this for sure. Cause I actually have not um, been as obsessed with general convention as I have in the past, given the way that the gathering has been scaled way back. I'm guessing that includes worship. And so, whatever kind of worship there is to be now, I, my assumption would be it would take place on the floor um, of the houses and then, and then move immediately into, into business sessions. Yeah. And, and I would imagine, cause they took it down from eight days, right. To four. Is that right? Um, so, so I would imagine they're doing essential business only and, mm-hmm. and any worship that's included is, is sort of bare bones. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't necessarily sound like a big difference, but I think that the full eight day convention also entails like any number of days of gathering for committees ahead of the convention. I mean, it's a, it's a very slow moving ship that has to yes. get, has to get up to speed yeah. um, the way that the Episcopal church likes to do business. So yeah, I think it is a pretty dramatic, um, cut just given that they want to be sure to get convention in this year and i think the the rank and file of the um elected deputies uh were really kind of objecting to um what they saw as a a potential uh health and safety hazard for Uh everybody attending yeah um so and and that has for those who have been following, that's been sort of an ongoing unfolding process of, of sort of figuring out what it's actually going to look like and, and dramatically readjusting expectations as uh, things get cut or things get changed or that sort of thing. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, but with that, well, all of that kind of backdrop in mind, let's do dive into the sort of liturgical... Um, Muckety muck. That's going to be that's going to be on the table for debate and reform the, and revision and whatnot. That's the technical term for I, it. I think of so. I think so. Yeah. yeah. Well, if, so, if you want to get technical, we could start with the acronyms because we'll we'll probably be referring to a couple of these governing bodies by their acronyms. Yeah. 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 So um, the two main ones, as far as liturgy are concerned, are the Tiffel Pibber, 
and the SCLM, right? So Tiffel Pibber is the Task Force on Liturgy and Prayer Book Revision. Mm-hmm. And the SCLM is the Standing Commission. I believe it's a commission, right? Standing Commission on Liturgy and Music. Yes. That seems right. I mean, we're two guys with a podcast, so we don't actually need to fact check anything. <laughs> well, I did. Live. <laughs> oh, live. Okay, very good. Yeah. Um, but just to be just to be totally thorough, the Tiffel Pibber Task Force for Liturgy and Prayer Book Revision. Mm-hmm. Um, at least one person is advocating that we pronounce the acronym differently, and I believe it's Tiffel Poop uh, Taffel Puber is how he sure. wants to say it. Does I, that, I, does yeah. that seem right? Uh, no, it doesn't seem right. <laughs> but it, <laughs> but I think you are correctly <laughs> representing the alternative position. <laughs> right. Tiffel Pibber um, uh, was Scott Gunn's pr- preferred pronunciation. That, sorry, the Reverend Scott Gunn. The Reverend Canon Scott Gunn. Yep. His preferred pronunciation is Tafel Puber. Right. I think, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly, at least according to Scott. Yeah, this really is this really is an unplugged edition of this podcast right now. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so there's there's several moving parts to this, and several, uh, and by several I mean I think currently twelve. Uh, no, that's not right. Three hundred forty-four resolutions to be considered by Committee Twelve, which is the Prayer Book, Liturgy, and Music Committee. Gosh, that just sounds like a ton, doesn't it? It it's a lot. It's a lot, and some of them obviously are bigger than others. Um, would would are are more of a big deal than others? In and I mean big deal, not as in um, that the other ones are not important or or uninteresting, but uh, just have wi- wider ramifications. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And so some of those are you know like the the Tiffel Pibber basically wrapping up its work mm-hmm. um, for the Triennium and and. I think rightfully kicking that work of ongoing prayer book revision and evaluation of the current prayer book and current current liturgical texts back to the SCLM where it really rightfully belongs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so that's a, I mean, that's a fairly big one. We 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 sort of had split continuity here as a result of the last general convention where we created this other ad hoc committee or task force right which you know i'm not old enough to remember when the prayer book was revised last i mean was there a sort of ad hoc group that that studied that you know and and began some of the work or was that no it was it was this it was the sclm that underwent Mm -hmm. that work and i mean obviously it wasn't just the committee cranking one cranking the prayer book itself out Mm -hmm. right right um or the commission rather the standing commission didn't just like write a prayer book and send it out to people um but it but that that process was overseen by the sclm mm-hmm. and i think historically has always been overseen by the sclm mm-hmm. yeah that's interesting i mean because it, it's the kind of thing that has happened every 50 odd years what does it mean that we like our, our first instinct is like oh let's create a separate committee does that just mean we're a more sort of um committee centric people nowadays or i think it's i i i i i'll i'll try and be as charitable as possible in saying this i think that there's a lot of hesitation and and for good reason Mm -hmm. there's a lot of hesitation around prayer book revision as a topic and part of that is is the monumental shift that took place between the 1928 prayer book and the 1979 prayer book it was a significant difference in understanding yeah. right mm-hmm. and that for a lot of people was very jarring and was very traumatic and there are still i mean you can tell that that's a big deal because there are still churches still congregations throughout the church still parishes throughout the church that use the 1928 prayer book still because they're they they do not agree with the changes that were made right right, right. which um, which is true i mean not just of Anglicanism, but also really, really sort of every denomination of, of Christianity that you can think of that when there's a sizable change of some kind, there's, there's a faction that stays behind wants to yeah. do things the way, the way it used to be done. Sure. I, but I mean, I think, 
I think that's less the case. If you look at the previous prayer book revisions, most of them were fairly minor, mm-hmm. you know, updates to some, some um, I don't want to say secondary rights, but some of the more minor rights are updates to language here and there, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But so, the 28 to 79 is a drastic change. Right. And, um, and, and, and I don't know, just to zoom in on a couple of those changes, uh, mm-hmm. kind of a broader emphasis on baptism. Yeah, so much broader emphasis on baptism, uh, uh, much much more um, energy around sort of reclaiming liturgies of Holy Week in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of, the, the Eucharist and, itself, right? Kind yeah. of trying to more firmly place that as the norm for Sunday worship. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And that, that isn't solely... Um, a result of the 79 prayer book, but but the the Holy Eucharist is much more front and center in mm-hmm. the 79 prayer book than it was in the 28. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Oh, and I guess the other kind of big change was one of language. And I, I, I gather that the sort of right one, the, the inclusion of what we now call right one, mm-hmm. um, was kind of a compromise to move forward with the modern language. And the feeling being that you know, oh, that would that would probably lose favor after a while. That was the yeah. Um, at least I I haven't I haven't read that with citations anywhere, so I couldn't swear to that. But that's that's always been the story, right? I think I'm rehashing you know more anecdotal re- yeah. retellings of how this went down. But I think I mean I think that's probably right. That right one was meant to be you know sort of an adjustment period, mm-hmm. um, and then eventually maybe we would get rid of that. Um, I don't. <laughs> there's little sign of that being the case, <laughs> right? Isn't that interesting? And then you know one of the one of the things that I've always remembered from um, this really interesting workshop that I went on, uh, kind of being a welcoming church, mm-hmm. is that the Episcopal Church is kind of uniquely poised in most in most parishes because, you know, if if you just throw a dart at a board of Episcopal churches, I I don't know who has a board of Episcopal churches, (laughs) but if you just pick one at random, I mean, most likely you're going to encounter like an early right one service and then a late right two service. And, and what it's meant for, you know, churches our size in another denomination, there might just be one service because there wouldn't be any kind of liturgical difference and there'd be a desire to keep more people in the room together. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of always been an interesting thing that we have going for us in, in, you know, by and large in your, in your sort of run of the mill Episcopal place that you've got, um, you've got two services, which yeah. uh, is kind of a, an Episcopal quirk that developed, I think in large part out of this, out of this prayer book revision. It did. And, and it's interesting because even, even places that just do that sort of bare bones and by the book, you wind up with. You know, and the, the negative is you could say that you wind up with sort of two different congregations, but the reality is just by virtue of doing two different services in two different linguistic idioms is you end up appealing to two very different demographics. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so you wind up, yeah, maybe having sort of what feels like two different congregations, but you do that also by attracting more than you likely would if you just had a single service that was one particular style. Right. And then, yeah, we don't want to we don't want to dwell too much into the seventy nine because I guess we're trying to trying to talk about what comes next. But well, so but before we move on, this is a good a good time to talk about two of the resolutions that have been proposed since the the um, initial committee reports and everything came out, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Because there are two resolutions that deal with right one versus right two. Okay, right, great, yeah. So in the Book of Common Prayer. There's a provision, um, and I I don't know the page number offhand, I don't know exactly where it lies, but there is a provision by which any of the the texts that are written in contemporary language can be adapted for traditional language idiom. Mm -hmm. So, for example, all of the proper liturgies for special days are all written in contemporary language. But if if, if you wanted to do an Easter vigil in traditional language, yeah. you have that option. Yeah. If you want to adapt Good Fr- the Good Friday liturgy for traditional language, you have that option. Yeah. And that is interesting because that, that, right. So there's a parish down the street here that I think identifies like as a right one parish. That's just what they do. 
uh-huh. and what they've always done. And yet, if you visit that parish on an occasion that they have baptism, the service isn't right, too. Yeah, exactly. Right. And so, if they, I mean, they, the permission exists already to take, say, the baptismal rite, which is only written in contemporary language. If mm-hmm. you want to adapt that for rite one, adapt that into traditional language, you have that option. Right. The reverse is not true. So you don't have the option to adapt any right one texts and update them and make them contemporary. Which right? again, I think you know, speaks to that idea that um, you know they just they there wouldn't be really interest in those any anymore. And and I think that's the th- that that was the expectation, mm-hmm. and it hasn't necessarily matched the reality. And yeah. and as evidence, I would point to these two new resolutions that both have to do with adapting right one texts to a right right to liturgy mm-hmm. um, and one of them is is somewhat generic and just sort of gives that opposite permission right mm-hmm. that if you want to take a right one text and adapt it to a right two service then you can do that and the specific things that I think are referenced in that resolution are like using the prayer of humble access in a right two service mm-hmm. or using the um, the slightly different right one decalogue, particularly mm-hmm. the responses to the decalogue in a right to service. Um, I think there was one other example given and I can't remember it offhand. Um, well, but that is, I mean, that's another kind of interesting historical note about the, the 79 and the way it evolved is that the Eucharistic prayers, um, A, B, C, and D, None of them were a modern language version of what we now know as Rite One prayers one and two. I mean, they're all exactly they're all distinct, different prayers. They are. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and and prayer A sort of has some similarities, but is definitely not just a translation, right? Right. Um, and prayer B and prayer D were both ecumenical texts that, that were sort of in the works. Um, and prayer C is our own creation that mm-hmm. other churches have since sort of borrowed. But you're right. I mean, we, we created four. I mean, they're not new, new in that they weren't all written just for the 79 book, but they're four new prayers to our tradition right. rather than adapting prayer one or prayer two from from what's now called right one right i'm trying to remember that great quip that bishop shannon johnston had on the floor uh about prayer c uh-huh i think he called it the liturgical leisure suit yeah, yeah. that's i've i've often heard it called that okay well yeah. it, it was it was new to me and and by the reaction he got in the house of bishops i think it was it must have been new to most of them too uh-huh <laughs> Um, well, and, and I have my own soapbox about prayer C. But, I know, um, I know. We've been over, <laughs> we've been over that territory. We have. Yeah. But so one resolution just basically says you can take a right one text and adapt it for a right to service, right? Yeah. That seems, this seems uncontroversial to me. I, I think so. Yeah. Um, I, you know, the prayer of humble access is one of my favorite prayers in the English language, mm-hmm. but you don't have you don't have the option to use it in in right to. But you, you know, this reminds me of something. You're right that the, I guess canonically the permission doesn't exist to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but Derek Olson, who's uh, mentioned often on this podcast, I think, um, had an idea that you could sort of do this and just call it. Um, write three. Sure. Because under the sure. write three provisions, you can basically, you know, write your own. Um, so why not then use that provision to, to modify this other language, which is right. kind of, which is kind of an end run around what this resolution is trying to make totally licit and above board. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and especially because the, that, um, that quote unquote, write three, that idea that you can, you can essentially write your own prayers, although it, you know, it's with the permission of a bishop mm-hmm. and, and, um, that sort of thing. True. So, I mean, that, that revision would then require local diocesan permission. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, but the, so that's, that's one, which I think is, I, I'm with you, I think is relatively uncontroversial. There might be people who think, this is a bad idea. I don't know too many of those people. Um, 
Well, it's kind of not, neither here nor there because it, it's sort of you can't really argue that it's prolonging the right one language. Right. Um, right. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm. I'm. I'd be. I'd be interested to hear like what what the arguments against it would be. You know, I I, I think there are people who are, who don't enjoy the prayer of humble access who okay. would object to that in particular being okay. adapted to write to. Um, Obviously, I'm not one of those people, but the <laughs> other the other resolution that's on the table is is very very similar, but gives a full updated text of Rite One for contemporary language, meaning including Eucharistic Prayer One. Right. Wait a minute. So how does it say that again? Like how does it differ from this other resolution? It differs in that it gives the entire text. Basically, if you took all of the pages for Holy Eucharist Rite One in the BCP, oh, so th- so this it. is specifically about uh, Rite One, the the Eucharist. You said, yeah, the the Holy Eucharist. Okay, yeah, okay, from Rite One, whereas including yeah, yeah. Eucharistic Prayer One. Got it. Whereas the other re- resolution was like, you know, wherever you encounter a right one text, you're free to... Sure. Okay. Exactly. And so would cover even like the Great Litany if you wanted to. Oh, yeah. That... Okay, that is interesting. Yeah. Um, this one gives gives a gives a, a sort of updated contemporary language idiom version of right one, including Eucharistic prayer one. Now the thing about this is it's it's I think coming from the same impulse, right? Mm-hmm. Including the impulse of adapting... Eucharistic Prayer 1, which is a very distinctively Anglican prayer and making that available for contemporary language for right to you. Sure. But what you do if you translate, if you if you literally just sort of translate everything that's in the right one section of the BCP, what you're doing is actually creating something new in that the right one ordo is not exactly the same as the right to ordo hmm. it's very very similar mm-hmm. um, but there are some slight differences between them and so if you translate if you basically translate right one into contemporary language what you've what you've created is sort of not not just a right to version of eucharistic prayer one but something like right 1.5 interesting in that you're using an ordo from the right one service, but updated all the language to write to. And, and mm. my only hesitation around that is, and maybe this ship has sailed, um, but my only hesitation around that is, it's, it seems like it's got the possibility of further fracturing our liturgical life by creating all these different sort of versions of things. Well, I mean, I had to admit, like, when you kind of outline the possibilities of what you could translate um, mm-hmm. everything in right one, you, you know, I had sort of forgotten about the the great litany. Yeah. Um, because already you've got, you know, what's called the great litany in the prayer book, which, yes, it's not called right one. It does happen to be in traditional language, mm-hmm. which I sort of have always respected about that prayer because of the great litany does happen to be the oldest uh, liturgical prayer in English that we have mm-hmm. in our tradition. Um, which, and, and furthermore, the, the 1979 litany does represent a, a pretty substantial r- revision from that original 1549, I think, prayer. Right. Yet it has been revised over the years, or at least in the Episcopal tradition, it's been, it's been revised. Um, so we have, yeah, the 79 litany, we have the enriching our worship litany, which is something entirely different. And they're, yeah, they're quite different, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's hard to, it's hard to get a, a, quite the same sense from those two things, I think. And now we're talking about a third kind of option for great litany days. So that, I, I find that a little bit um, high, hard to wrap my mind around. I, and I would have to, I, I need to double check that and s- find out specifically what the resolution says about updating the language, because if it does say write one specifically rather than traditional language, contemporary language. No, I think, I think the Great Litany is very much on the table. So this is a resolution D061. Is this, is this the one we're talking about? Uh, actually, I think that's the other one that cl- gives... Yeah, that's the one that's supposed to give the. That's the one that gives the entire text. I think. Oh, of holy. D 62 
is the one that would update, that would allow any of the liturgies or elements of liturgies published in a right one idiom oh, may see. be conformed to the contemporary idiom. Got it. Got it. So I think that would include the great litany. Yeah. But the other, the other resolution D zero six one has with it, um, a document that gives the entirety of right one, including Eucharistic prayer one, sort of translated into contemporary language. Yeah. And that is, I think, creating a sort of, you know, it gives a translation of the exhortation include, you know, and the Decalogue and all, and, and basically every element of right one, but it does so by preserving the right one ordo Mm -hmm. again, maybe, maybe that's only of concern to me. Maybe that ship really has sailed, but it just, it's creating a whole nother thing. Which is the right one idiom in, or the right one ordo in the in a right two idiom, mm-hmm. and at some point we just we have a whole lot of liturgical texts and options, and it's just um, yeah, it is um, it is a, a vast sea, I think. Yeah. So I'm I was curious about this um, with the musical implications of, of changing the litany. Yeah, we beseech thee to hear us, good Lord. Would presumably be updated to, we beseech you to hear us, good Lord. I w- I would imagine, um, particularly if it's if it's chanted or sung, that that would be the easiest way to do it without totally ruining the meter. Yeah, uh, if if that's all it is, I think you know it's kind of a one for one exchange as far as the notes go. And then I I just googled that phrase just to see what came up. And the 2019 prayer book of the Anglican Church of North America, uh-huh. that's their version of the litany, uses that phrase, we beseech you to hear us, good Lord. Yeah. I think that's interesting. That's basically in a, it's basically in a contemporary language idi- idiom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. What's next? Uh, gosh, <laughs> um, there's a whole lot of stuff. So the, the so tiffle at, pipper at, at this rate is to say four hour podcast. How are we doing? Right, How are we doing right. on time? <laughs> yeah. So we talked about the tiffle pipper basically like I, I said, I think I might've even said kicking that can back to the SCLM, but, right, where but we, we both sense like rightfully. So that's kind of a good thing. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, there's also, I mean, some no brainers, right? Like there's a resolution to continue with Episcopal common prayer.org. Oh yeah. That's such a great website. It is. It is. And it's, and, and like the fact that it's taken us this long to have that is, mm-hmm. <laughs> is slightly. And, and honestly, honestly, it's going to be all the more vital if, you know, liturgies kind of continue proliferating at the rate that they could potentially do so. Yeah. 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 Um, especially because one of the other resolutions is to allow the authorization of alternative and additional liturgies to amend, actually to amend our constitution so that alternative and additional liturgies to supplement those provided in the BCP can, can, can do so, can be supplemental liturgies by passing a single, um, general convention rather than the bar of two general, two successive general conventions to actually modify the Book of Common Prayer. Yeah, that's interesting too. I mean, is that is that a good move? Was the um... I mean, I, they're doing it because we because right now the only mechanism we have for something like that is trial use, and mm-hmm. we've been quite frankly abusing trial use, mm-hmm, right? right? Yeah, in that we, we authorize things for trial use and then we perpetually. Ne- we never revisit them, right? They never become right. official in any sense. But, but what's but what's stopping us though? I mean, it, it's just you need to authorize something twice in order for it to become official. Right. Is that it? Yep. Yeah. And I don't know. I I just don't know that that lowering the bar. In, as far as our canons are concerned, to make it easier to propagate liturgies is necessarily the way that we want to go. I, I, that makes me uneasy. And then uh, I, would that extend then to, you know, a theoretical prayer book revision that it would just require one? No, no, no is, because is that, it is, is liturgies, liturgies that are supplemental to I the see, book of common prayer. Oh, so, you did say that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, but still, we have a lot of liturgies that are in regular use that are quote unquote supplemental to the book of common prayer. Mm-hmm. 
you know, if you're in a church that, if you're in a parish that uses EOW, that's a supplement, right? Yes. So are we going to say we could authorize an entire EOW text at one general convention and then it's just on the books? Yeah, that seems a little I don't know. I, I like the idea of... Yeah. Yeah, because I think, yeah, just given the frenetic nature and, and this year, especially of the con- condensed, compressed, you know, something could get drafted and something could get authorized all in the same week, right? Yeah. That's that's what could potentially happen. Yep. Yeah. I, I absolutely think a three-year... I mean, not that anybody's asked my opinion and I'm not a deputy to general convention, <laughs> but I absolutely think a three-year waiting period is a good thing. <laughs> I, I think so. I think our... I think... I mean, this is the problem that we have with Prayer C, Right is that it was, even then, I mean, it basically, we had nine to 12 years to look at that prayer. Mm -hmm. And it's only after using it now for another almost over 40 years that we have realized some of the shortcomings that are there. Yeah. So, like, do we, do we, I don't know. I just like the built-in mechanism of having to go back and revisit anything that's passed liturgically Mm -hmm. and say... Do we still want to go with this, or? Yeah, I mean, this is this is backbreaking, painstaking work. Like, I get it, you know. Yeah, yeah. And and I don't know. I guess you could make an argument that we we need to streamline our general convention, and we don't want to keep retreading the same ground and reauthorizing these things. But you know, believing that worship is as central to the church as it is. I do mm-hmm. think I do think we're well served to put our attention here and and kind of give ourselves that that clarity of of decision making outside of the period of general convention. I think as in other words returning at the next convention and authorizing a second time seems seems fair to me. Yeah. I I it's it's just It's important enough that I think we need to we need to put everything every safeguard we can in place to ensure that we're doing it right. Mm-hmm. Yep, I agree. Uh, those are those are the big ones um, from the Tiffel Pibber. Uh, the SCLM has their own proposed resolutions as well. Um, translating the BCP into the the main languages Spanish French Haitian Creole um, authorizing the BOS the Book of Occasional Services 2021 so um, or which I guess now would be 2022 oh but that's not funny. yeah what what year would it, would it actually be <laughs> yeah but it's not just passing there was a Book of Occasional Services 2018 that was passed mm-hmm. that cut out a lot of what was proposed to be in there and there were some additional things referred back to the SCLM to be included back in the book of occasional services mm. oh I so think, this I, is, I think i ran into one of those recently wasn't the um the way of light wasn't that cut from the book i think i i don't know for sure it it may I, very I think it well might have been. been because i went looking for that liturgy Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure I found the text of that liturgy in a general convention resolution. Yeah, it never it never made it all the way into the book. And and there were several of those in the book of occasional services that got sort of left on the cutting room floor. Um, some of those make it back into the proposed BOS 2021 or 2022, whichever it is. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I I say from from my perspective, I'm especially interested in seeing. Um, the the stations of the resurrection, the way of light, or the via lucis, yeah. could get some wider use in the church. I just think that's so um, compelling. Um, I actually, I'll, I'll I'll tell you, I'll tell you off air about um, using this, uh, a version of that this Easter tide, which I thought was really cool. Oh, right on. Yeah. In addition to the book of occasional services, it's there's also um, a resolution to authorize lesser feasts and fasts, mm-hmm. 2018, one the second. So this would be the second reading to make that an authorized text. One of my favorite books ever. Yeah. Yeah, I, I really do. I, a part of my um, my uh, nightly prayer with my son is I we, we say some prayers, and then I always reach for the lesser feasts and fasts. I keep a copy in his room, because why not? <laughs> and we, uh, we, we pray the collect of the saint 
of the day together. And awesome. sometimes he asks about who it is and sometimes he doesn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then a, a whole lot, as always, as is always the case, a whole lot around the calendar, right? Yeah. Um, so several proposed additions to the calendar, several, um, revisions to existing commemorations on the calendar, principles for revision of lesser feasts in past, mm-hmm. um, principles or a process for um, developing local commemorations, mm-hmm. which is sort of trying to move to a, to a ground up yeah. approach yeah. to commemoration of the saints. Mm-hmm. I remember, I remember that starting. Yeah. yeah. Um, so there's, there's a whole, whole lot of, um, as always, a whole lot of resolutions that re- that relate to the calendar. Yeah, that's never that's never going to change. Like you can just expect calendar work at every yeah. general convention. Well, sure, and I think they're I think they're trying to provide some clarity and some common understanding as as mm-hmm. to what the calendar is for and what we're gonna what we're how we're gonna use it moving forward. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right. There's always, there's always local saints who are proposed to be added, um, and so it's always a difficult question yeah. because you never want to say, nobody ever wants to say no to that, right? But then, um, but then you know, the idea of local commemorations is they would be primarily observed locally. So right. you know, would they need to be included in a book like, and and this is something that we had, isn't it, with a great cloud of witnesses. Mm-hmm. The idea that there was, you know, there was sort of more in there than you could you could possibly use, because right. some of them were were kind of intended to be more local. Do I have that right? Uh, I mean, quite possibly. I don't know. I don't know exactly the rationale bef- behind Great Cloud of Witnesses. Um, if I could I, snap I, my fingers and pass a resolution at mm-hmm. general convention, which is not how it works, just for anybody who's never been. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I'm gonna. Uh, this is an unedited podcast. We made that clear, so I'm, I may have to walk this back later. But I think, um, I think we've got too much. <laughs> we've got too much input into the calendar, and it would be wonderful <laughs> if it were more locked down. Like even just starting now. Like okay, we're we're putting a we're putting a freeze in place on on this, Wh- which is not to say that you know people shouldn't be added. Uh, that people would come into eligibility 50 years after death and whatever, and so on and so on, whatever the standard is. Uh-huh. But I think that rather, rather than having a committee do this, I mean, what if this were a perk of the presiding bishop's office, the pre- mm-hmm. presiding bishop alone got to sort of decide, Oh, you know, I think this, this would be a good addition at this time. <laughs> and just sort of, I, I don't know. I guess, cause the minute you say that you get some really, punch drunk presiding bishop get in there and say oh everybody's a saint now <laughs> right and this and th- and this is the difficulty is like we've already gone through like five or six different iterations of how we decide who's on the calendar which is how our calendar got as as, as sort of as crowded as it did exactly yeah well, um, and, and the reason the reason that i say that like my frustration with all that we're kind of like it's great, and I've been I've been to Evensong week weekday in a cathedral, and you observe the lesser feasts, and I think that's fabulous. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there is confusion in the Episcopal Church about how to f- observe the church calendar, and I, sure. I, I admit to being confused myself mm-hmm. uh, for many years. If you're having Evensong on a Sunday, the Evensong is for the Sunday; it's not for the lesser feasts that might happen to follow on Monday. Uh huh. Um, it's not even yeah. It, it would it would have to be a pretty major feast, I think, to to take, um, for you to observe on a Sunday night. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I would just love to see more emphasis churchwide. Uh, I don't know that this, this would actually have a bearing on this one way or the other on the, the principal feasts that don't really have a lot of traction. Um, right. The, the epiphany, the ascension. Mm-hmm. I mean, even yeah. Trinity Sunday, mm-hmm. we, we tend to treat that as like, Oh, the program year is probably over. So good luck with Trinity Sunday, everybody. <laughs> right. I mean, right. wh- is it a principal feast or not? Like, let's let's make a big deal about this, and and maybe not just have, uh, maybe not just have somebody who's not the rector preach that day. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, to be fair, my rector totally preached uh, on Trinity Sundays. Maybe the first time in my career that the the dean or the rector has taken the has has taken the steps up to the pulpit and preached the sermon on that day. 
Wow. <laughs> Which is pretty pretty striking uh, thing to have to say. Yeah. <laughs> about, no a, about a principal feast. I mean, of, of all days. Sorry, that was a total no, that was a total tangent that didn't really have anything to do with this legislation. No, but I mean it's fair. I think I think we 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 gravitate towards inclusion of people that we particularly care about into the into the sanctoral calendar and and all what what we part of what we end up doing is just sort of muddying the waters in terms of what it is that we're doing when we gather together and i'm not i i don't say that to be a fuddy-duddy i don't say that to say our calendar is good the way it is because there are people on our calendar who don't belong there really yeah who would you who would you point to there uh, well, uh, I, I, I suppose I don't have a real good example right off the top of my head. Um, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. Well, um, I'll edit this out if I need to. <laughs> that's fair. But, is, but, it, is, but is Thurgood Marshall on our calendar? Uh... I don't know the answer to that, actually. Because I feel like that's a name that I've I've heard said. Like he, you know, he wasn't an Episcopal. Oh, how about William Porcher Dubose? He's in the calendar. Okay, how about William Porcher Dubose? Who is that? Uh, definitely should not be there. Okay. <laughs> Do you want to say more? Um, he was a, a Confederate officer. He came from a family of slaveholders. He was a white supremacist, or at mm. least long-held white supremacist views and is on our sanctoral calendar right so yeah. that's an obvious example yeah that's someone who who should not be there under any circumstances well you, you know this is this is really interesting right so the the trip that i'm going to take is um uh to richmond virginia for the association of anglican musicians conference right. um, which is meeting in that city and this will be my first visit to richmond since all of the confederate monuments lining monument avenue have been removed Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess kind of going back to our our discussion about right one and right two, language changes and kind of the, the sanctoral language that we use in our calendar, I think, has changed. I, I think for a long time, um, people were willing to tolerate that that white supremacism. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, it, it speaks to the, the demographics of the people making the decisions, surely, yeah. about who yep. should be included in the calendar. Right. So I think, I mean, it's absolutely, uh, I, I think it's fair to draw a comparison between um, updating our language in a way that, that helps rather than hinders us, and, mm-hmm. and likewise to, to make these changes in the calendar. Yeah. 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 Um, I did find somewhere... Um, I'm going to interrupt you with another tangent, though. Okay. Because we haven't mentioned this on the podcast. The, this is not general convention related, but I think it's um, New College Oxford in England. Okay. They have a monument to, a, 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 like a memorial tablet to a, a former slaveholder okay. in their chapel. And like every, as far as I can tell, basically everyone wants to have this removed mm-hmm. except for the rules that say you can't remove it because it's in a historic building. Oh, And the people yeah. who are like architectural... You right, know, purists to go along with that and say no, you can't remove it because this is a historic right. building. Right, and I think that that they, that's a very sticky wicket that they've all found themselves in there. I think. Yeah, and yeah. and and you're right that you know whatever kind of stipulations we put up around the calendar, we do need to be able to take people off. Yeah, yeah, and 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 the reality of having a sanctoral calendar for the entire church is that n- you you probably can't put every single person that maybe even should be on there on there because there just are not physically enough days in the year right right, right. um so that's not to say that we should be content with our calendar as it exists and we just can't add anymore but we have to we have to have some serious conversations about where the bar is and who maybe can come off so that some more contemporary saints might be able to go on. Yeah. Cuz the calendar got a little crazy for a while. I mean, I guess it's, yeah. I, I guess it still is. Like Yeah. Uh what version of the calendar am I looking at? Provisional commemorations. 2000 Those are pro if you're looking at somewhere online that has provisional ones, that's probably Lesser Feasts and Fest 2018. Yeah, or I guess 20 2006 cuz technically that's Oh. 
2006 was never fully authorized as the problem. So the last Lesser Feasts and Fasts to be authorized and printed was 2003. Huh. Is that true? I don't. I, I don't think. So. Or, or maybe maybe, maybe two thousand six so. was printed. Um. Oh. Oh no. I'm sorry. I, I think I have that backwards. The last calendar to be given final approval for use in the Episcopal Church was Lesser Feasts and Fasts two thousand six. Okay. Right. So yeah. in, in the list that I'm looking at, which I guess uh, includes some some additions, Johann Sebastian Bach, who's someone that I admire. Mm-hmm. is given his own saint's day on July sure. 28th. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't think that he needs that necessarily. Like who's, who's going to Saint Bach. Uh, I'm not even sure. <laughs> right. the, I'm not even sure the Lutherans do that. Um, I'm, I'm fairly sure that they don't. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to look that up while we talk about whatever's <laughs> next. But um there, there was another day in one of these calendars. It was given to um, kind of a, a raft of church musicians. I think it might have even included Bach, Bach and Talis and Bird. Um, I feel like uh, for at one point they shared a day. Do you remember that? Uh, say, say that again. There were some English composers like William Bird oh, and Thomas yeah. Talis, and I think they might have even even grouped Bach in with those two. I think it was like three male composers that all got their their shared feast day as saints of the church that that vaguely rings a bell but i don't i don't know but we don't have cecilia in our calendar the patron saint of musicians right unless you count january 21st when it says agnes and cecilia of rome is that is that who saint cecilia is i don't know we could we could go down this um this path but I'll, I'll i'll refrain from taking us any further sure okay. i do want to um i did find i the the um question you had about the way of light yes uh there, so there was a resolution at the last general convention um suggesting it to, for inclusion into the bos right and the the response that was given is that there is quote not sufficient cause to include this liturgy in the book of occasional services not least because the daily eucharist is a more fitting and more traditional observance in the season of the resurrection end quote oh pish posh <laughs> i just i just you had asked so i wanted to give you the answer well i i have to say i don't like that answer <laughs> um because I have that, I have that wonderful quote from um, N.T. Wright when he's talking about mm-hmm. Easter and that we need more creativity and uh, more uh-huh. more festivals and more celebrations. Mm-hmm. Yes, we can absolutely celebrate the Eucharist, and furthermore, we can right. have you know, we can have these other services um, like the state. And, and this, you know, another thing that you and I have talked about is what balances our all of our sort of feverish Lenten devotions. I mean, ch- uh-huh. churches would not bat an eye to do Stations of the Cross at some point in Lent or Holy Week. And, right. and there are places that repeat it throughout the season. Right. Um, but then when it comes to Lent, I mean, is there, uh, when it comes to Easter, I mean, um, is there anything other than just like Sunday Eucharist or daily Eucharist? I mean, I think the season of Easter does require more richness and texture. And that's, that's, a, that's a devotion that I just think should be tried before it's condemned. Yeah, I, I I think I'm with you. I don't. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't know that we should stick it right in the BOS right off the bat. But I would at least be in favor of authorizing it for trial, trial use and there, sort of seeing. Yeah, there you go. Is this is this meaningful to people? Yeah, and there. I mean, there there are a few churches that have done it that have said that it is, mm-hmm. but. Well, and I, what if we made that more available and said, "Let's seek some input on this." Yeah, I mean, the the context in which I did it is not a parish that celebrates um, the Stations of the Cross, or, or you know, um, mm-hmm. what's the word for Stations of the Cross that does the Stations of the Cross? Yeah. Um, but but even still, I think uh, you know how much more compelling would it be if we were that yeah. there would be sort of this inverse image of that. Yeah. that liturgy okay so yeah. i did find something on wikipedia purporting to be the lutheran calendar okay the lutheran i'm not sure what authority this has other than wikipedia it mentions the elca 
in the yeah the calendars of the ELCA in their present form listed mm. below Johann Sebastian Bach is there on July 28th how about that along with um, Handel and Schutz Heinrich Schutz hmm yeah I think I think Handel might have had a day on the calendar yeah if he just hadn't written that darn messiah nobody would even give him a second thought <laughs> Handel is a wonderful composer. I'm not. I'm not meaning to knock Handel. Yeah. Yeah. Really. It's fair. Okay. And this is an analog version, so I'll give us a musical interlude of some <laughs> Handel. I guess it's the Hallelujah chorus. Hallelujah, 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 Hallelujah. It's very important, Ian, that you sing the H. Because it's hallelujah in English. Right. Yeah, it's not the Latinized uh, hallelujah. Right. Yes. Some people get very bent out of shape about that. No, it's just it's just something fun to point out to choirs that they really should they really yeah. should pronounce the H and you can kind of do a lot of it because H is something that doesn't get very far. I mean, at least pre COVID. Pre COVID mm-hmm. we could sing a lot of H. I would never say that now. <laughs> COVID has done away with H's. I used to, I used to make a really big deal at Christmas time. Um, I would, I would, I would demonstrate, Oh, come all you faithful. Mm-hmm. And I would give the biggest, Oh, come. And I would sort of, you know, make a joke about there should be spit flying th- four <laughs> feet from your head. You know, we should, we uh-huh. should all see it going. And you know, that's just something that I, I will never be able to say that again. Times have changed. Uh-huh. They have. Yeah. They have. Yeah. I don't know. Someday we'll be comfortable with spitting on each other again, but I, that, that day is not <laughs> Hopefully quite, not. Not quite a I don't know. <laughs> Singing is a very messy business, as we all learned. It's a very <laughs> messy business. Okay, what's next for general convention that we want to preview for people? So, I don't know. I, there are... I don't think there are any resolutions around um, the... Eucharistic prayers that were collected by the Tiffle Pibber. But right? they, they were kind of interesting to note, weren't they? Yeah, there are a few of those that were given. They gave one that's based on the general Thanksgiving. It's um, a neat idea. It is. I, it, you know, it, it's, it, the, I love the general Thanksgiving, don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. I don't know that it translates well into an anaphora. It's, yeah. it's extremely short. Yeah. Um, it's, it doesn't have much of a salvation narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can see how it would be meaningful, especially for people who have, a, who come from a strong morning prayer parish, Maybe where you're used to praying the great things, the general Thanksgiving. Yeah, right? maybe. I mean, my experience with trying to translate things from morning prayer to, to give, you know, there are people that I did that for were always sort of more annoyed than grateful. It's like, right. No, yeah. we're just asking for morning prayer. We don't want you to monkey with the stuff somewhere else. Right. You know exactly. I mean? that, yeah. That was the attitude I've always heard. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's true. So the one based on the general Thanksgiving, like it's a noble effort. It's not my favorite. Um, there's one based on song of songs that I think is really interesting in a really different approach. I'm, uh, I'm a fan of that one oh, for cool. sure. Okay. There's one for Christmas. Um, I, I'm not generally in favor of having a whole Eucharistic prayer designed around a season or a holy day well, specifically. Uh, that's an, this is an interesting idea, right? Because th- these are things that were collected and weren't weren't you know sought after. Right. Right. Because I think I think it's kind of a opening opening a door that you know i'm going to go back to my principal feasts shtick again uh-huh. if we're going to do one for christmas yeah right. you know you know where i'm going with this sure yeah let's flesh it well, there should be one for trinity sunday too shouldn't there well and there are i mean there are books uh, where people have written different eucharistic prayers for every sunday of the rcl Right. Yeah, I, I have heard about that. I think I have a copy of that somewhere. I think you do, because I think you're the person I heard about this from. And like to me, that's too much, right? It feels. Yeah, I'm. I'm back to that overwhelmed feeling that I had earlier. Okay, and and uh, full disclosure, I have not read this this Christmas prayer yet. Uh-huh. But um, 
what don't we have the proper prefaces to kind of place things in their in their yes. seasonal context? Yeah. Yeah, isn't that isn't that enough? I mean I mean, I think so. I I find comfort in the fact that the prayers that we say, I mean, yeah, you can adjust them seasonally, but the reality is the words that we say, the story that we tell when right. we gather around the table right. is is the same story in in every season. Yeah. 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 Um, and yeah, it's got a little different flavor in in different seasons. Sure. But yeah. So I'm not a, I'm not a fan of the idea of doing whole prayers that are written on the on the theme of seasons. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. In addition, one of the principles that that for possible Eucharistic prayers that the Tiffel Pibber gave out was that it needs to have a Trinitarian doxology. Yeah. That Christmas prayer does not actually have a Trinitarian doxology. Mm, good good catch. So for me that's like you've already like it's already against even the principles that you said this is what it needs to have. So like yeah, I wouldn't use that one personally. Yeah. I'm not judging if anybody wants to, but it's okay. not okay. I, I think it's too much. I mean, depending on how it's phrased, you could use it for Trinity Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> right. I don't know. I mean, I, I guess I'm being silly there, but uh, you you can't you can't find fault with anyone for using any of the available Eucharistic prayers at any time, like they're all right. interchangeable. And so this would be a departure from right. from that. Right. Yeah. And it, I mean, it is very much in the common worship style where you have a seasonal section of the book, and that's what you have to look at, yeah. right? So and like and and you said that these these prayers aren't uh, th- these are not being proposed at this point. They're just kind of a report on what they received. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, there's so, another one. So of the immigrant. I'm, I'm oh, sorry, sorry. Just just to carry that forward. So if if none of these are picked up with a resolution, and I, I guess at this point none of them are, they're just being reported. Mm-hmm. That means that none of them are technically authorized for trial use. Is that correct? I I believe so. It, the 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 gray area is that we did authorize even for the principal service that quote unquote right three yeah right which again that, for technically you need diocesan permission to do right a right three service right yeah okay um but yeah they give they give several different examples of um of prayers that they've gathered that you can you can check out and. I think are interesting in their own right. Um, there are a few others uh, as well that we haven't talked about, but we don't we don't have to hash them all out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Should we talk about inclusive language? Yeah, I mean, so one of the big things is a is a resolution that that gives guidelines for expansive and inclusive language, right? Mm-hmm. Um. There's also a, an expansive language prayer C um, resolution as well, mm-hmm. and um, that that was one that, that uh, the drafters tried to work on during the last general convention. Is that right? And just decided that it needed a little bit more to kind of work. Yeah, I it was it was put forward as part of the expansive language prayers at the last general convention. It did not. If memory serves, it did not pass the House of Bishops. They said it needed more work. Yeah, there are now they, two they struck that versions. out, but put forward A, B, and D. Right, yeah. and there are now two versions that are coming back to General Convention. Oh One of gosh, which my, is see, I can't edit this out. My cat, is, my cat realized I'm podcasting, so now he's down here making a ton of noise on this box. Thank you, <laughs> thank you so much. Oh my goodness. Okay, I'll try to I'll try to mute myself. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> the um well now I can't remember what I was gonna say. <laughs> oh yeah. So at the last general convention they proposed a an expansive language version of prayer C. It did not if memory serves it didn't pass the House of Bishops. They've since created two different versions of it. One that's just an expansive language of it expansive language version of it that's mm-hmm. that's sort of tinkered with from that from that last time around. Yeah. The second is more along the lines of Eucharistic Prayer 4 from the Canadian Book of Alternative Services. Yeah, I I I heard about this. 
which is based off of our prayer see, but instead of <laughs> variable responses, has a common refrain yeah. response yeah. every time. Yeah. So which is like the, something else. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it's like inclusive language plus, you know, liturgical revision. Does any right. of this just make you think like maybe it's time to take a look at revising the prayer book? I mean, I I have been I have been trying to bang that drum for a lot of these reasons, right? Like it's clear that there are issues with our prayer book that we need to fix. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. Um, I am I I am not in favor of drastic revision. I'm not in favor of burning it down and writing a whole new prayer book, or even something as significant a change as as was as the 28 to 79 shift was, right? Okay, right. But it's clear that there are aspects of our prayer book that need to be improved upon. There are aspects of our prayer book that fall short. I don't, I, and, and I don't know, I mean, it's already difficult to keep track of all the things that have been changed and, and are on the table to be changed. And the more that we do this, the, the, the more you're going to have to look at the publication date on your Book of Common Prayer yeah. to figure out if it's got the right stuff in it. Yeah, this, it is. Um, gosh. Right. Yeah, let's, let's, let's try to... Yeah, recognizing that we're human, <laughs> that we're, we're always trying to correct you know, what we see as errors of the past, uh-huh. and we're always trying to do our best honest, thoughtful, creative, prayerful work and what comes next. Yeah. I'm, I think it's high time that we revise the prayer book. So I think, I mean, I think we need to, so like we've, we've, yeah. Uh, can we talk about that? Like, is that on the table at this general convention and to what degree? I, I, I don't know is the short answer. My guess is it's not on the table at this general convention, even if somebody wants to bring it to the table because of the nature of this particular general convention, right? Because we've trimmed it down to such, such a short time. We basically cut it in half and said, it's going to be uh, essential business only, whatever right. that means. Right. So I think, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think we're likely to get that ball rolling this time around and particularly the way that it went the last time. I mean, I'm not real optimistic about the chances of, that happening anytime soon because two general conventions ago we told the SCLM come up with a plan to revise the prayer book Mm -hmm. they came up with several different tracks that we could take they gave us four different sort of lanes we could choose so they came up up with four plans they came up with four (laughs) possible plans and at at the last general convention we said you know what we're not going to do any of that we're going to memorialize the 79 prayer book and we're going to create a tiffle pibber and we're going to, we're going to do God knows what else. Right. Yeah. So in, in, and wrapping, that was up, all... in wrapping up their work, I mean, it, it's not clear to me that as much as the name was task force for liturgical and prayer book revision. Yeah. It's not clear to me that, you know, prayer book revision was really, was really, you know, on the table so much for them. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. I mean, they gave the Tiffel Pibber gave principles to guide the development of liturgical texts, which is meant to be. Um, I mean, essentially, what the what the Tiffel Pibber has said is not just we're going to kick this can back to the SCLM, but the model for liturgical revision moving forward is a ground up model where we're going to listen to worshiping communities and things that they're doing and things that they've changed and things that they've liturgies that they've created. And that's going to be grist for the mill for the process of, I don't even want to say prayer book revision because I'm not sure to what degree that's on the table, but, but liturgical development. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, it'll be interesting uh, to see. I mean, I think going into the, the last general convention, nobody had any idea that um, uh, the the seventy nine book would be memorialized. I mean, that that was something that that developed out of uh, the the convention and the House of Bishops and um, Bishop Doyle of Texas. Um, 
and you know got a lot of energy got a lot of traction and we passed it and now it's happened so that's done and so it's kind of interesting to see like okay let's move forward like we don't need to worry about that book going anywhere right it it is it is there i mean I, Uh i kind of feel like that was um that was sort of an interesting sort of stake in the ground. Like, yeah, I didn't really need that. We could have passed an author uh, authorization to use that book kind of in perpetuity and have a new book. Right. Um, I, I guess. Right. We, and, we, and we talked about that a lot at the time that it happened. Yeah, yeah. I just, I don't think anybody's clear on what it means to memorialize it. And I think, well, I think the, you know, one of the corollaries was, you know, the, the track in England where like the 1662 book is the authorized book. So we've, mm-hmm. we've done that with our 1979 book and then whatever comes up next is also authorized and you can choose, you can choose what you use. I mean, may, like, so maybe that's the intent. I don't see how that's self-evident from the text of the resolution. Yeah. Yeah. No, right? it, it was very... Very kind of Anglican-y, compromise-y right. stuff. <laughs> yeah. Which is, I don't know, which is what happens when you have eight days of general convention. Speaking of eight days, um, this is a wonderful, fruitful discussion, but I think <laughs> I think we might want to wrap it up. Yeah, we probably should. Because I have to get to the airport. Yeah. <laughs> right on. So should we... Is there is there anything else to say by way of closing? Did no, we... I think... I think that's okay. covered it. You kind of touched on the major points. Well, I think so. Well, thank you for weeding through that so thoroughly. That was really helpful to me. Awesome. And um, I'm glad. I always, I always do try to track general convention really closely when it happens. So mm-hmm. um, hopefully with a shorter convention, that'll be a little bit easier this year. Yeah, okay. We'll see. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, I, I just don't, I, I don't know to what degree it's going to be as open and available as it has been i don't know mm. it, it, i would maybe yeah. it will be maybe uh, uh, yeah well i think i'm sure that was initially planned i'll certainly understand if it can't be this time right yeah right well thanks for joining us today for this episode of all things right and musical if you've enjoyed this episode about uh the upcoming general convention of the episcopal church and liturgical and musical resolutions therein too we hope you will tell us about it. You can find us on the web at writeandmusical.org. That's spelled R-I-T-E and musical.org. You can also follow the hosts and the show on Twitter. If you enjoy this podcast, why not tell a friend about us? And a special thanks to our generous patrons who support this show on Patreon. Thanks again for listening. Stay safe, and we'll see you next time. Did it. We're done. We did it. It was great. Oh, I can't edit that out. <laughs>